Y'all are coming being on a cloudy day. Saw the red letters. Come on. Woo! That's our babies, y'all. That's our babies. We watched them, watched them come up in here. Some pastors I know, they say, you let them kids get up here on that stage? That wasn't a kid. That was a servant of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> How else he going to know what to do? Y'all seen that show, American Idol. Who does the best on there? Church kids. Church kids. That's right. Because they're full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right. We're talking about uh, uh, lives worthy of the call. We're moving into 1 Corinthians. Now, a couple of things I want to remind you of. The introduction to 1 Corinthians is online. We sent a couple of videos out for you. Uh, uh, we did a video here, and then we sent one out for you to watch so you can get nailed down on what 1 Corinthians is. I wanted to get to the preaching so bad I didn't go through the introduction like I probably should have. But uh, some things, I'll deal with more of it when we get to spiritual gifts. Everybody's waiting on us to get to spiritual gifts. But everybody that wants to do that loses... I mean, a lot of information that Paul gives us ahead of that. And so I want to lay this book out to you. And uh, I, was, I was blessed yesterday because we use the Bible around here. Amen? Amen. Pastors use the Bible. And I had someone yesterday that was close to the family, Brother Charlie. He said, to, he came to me afterwards. He said, man, you Protestant boys, y'all know how to do stuff. He says, gosh, you used all of the Bible. He said, I'm glad they didn't get a priest to do this funeral. <laughs> and I thought, my goodness. He said, man, you used the Bible. It was awesome. And he says, and I got to speak at a funeral tomorrow. I took a bunch of notes. I says, well, here, take these with you. It'll help you. So I want to tell you, and I want to say that. The reason I bring that up is, listen, I'll, the notes are online. They're there. My sermon notes, what I'm preaching from is online. Preachers don't do that because they're scared you're going to see what they're not doing. And there's more information there than what I can give you at one time, okay? And so I want you to have it, and you go through it. It's not, it's proofed very well, but it's not proofed, say, like we're sending it to the publisher. So I write things as I'm going to preach them, and then I try to just really just eat it up on Fridays and Saturdays after I'm finished so that uh, I can bring it to you without reading it to you. So there's some things I want you to have, though, that are there that we don't have time to do here. And so, but I, I want to tell you, we're blessed. And the more I read this, and so what's going on here, where we are at the beginning, the first nine verses, what Paul is actually doing is, is Paul is telling them what a good church they are. Now, the reason that's so important is because we're going to get 15 chapters or uh, probably 13 chapters, and then Paul's going to get into chapter 15. We're going to, this is one of the greatest chapters on the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's ever been written anywhere. And so, but between that time, Paul is answering questions, and Paul is answering questions about the problems that the church is having, so the preaching can get heavy in there. And so right now, what Paul is doing, as many of you are in management, understand, you, you come in and you, you give somebody a, a nice interview, and you, you compliment them on what they're doing right, you deal with where there's some problems, and then before they get out, you try to encourage them again. And you do that until the, until the problem gets so severe that you just have to bring them in and say you're dismissed, <laughs> y'all. All right. So what I, what Paul's doing with the Corinthians, he's saying there's a ton of problems in this church. 
But what is so crazy about it is, as you see what I've been dealing with, and as we're going to read the text, you'll see again, that this was an awesome church. But it had tons of problems. And it reminds me of the church in America. We, right now, as you see these things and you see what Paul's saying to them, how, how good they have it, we forget just the basics of what God has given us that's so awesome. And so if you're a person that tends to be a complainer, or be down and out, man, I want to tell you, we have it so good. And as our missionaries I mentioned a while ago, they're always telling us, here's what we need, here's what's going on. Man, they have it tough. They really have it tough, and we're so blessed. So let's look at the text in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. And we went through about three verses last week. We're going to tag onto that, and we're going to try to finish this up so we can get into what the divisions were all about in the church. Paul called as an apostle. Paul uses that word called. So we talked about the importance of us being called and what a blessing that that is. Uh, Paul was called to be an apostle by Jesus Christ, by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother. Sosthenes was his amanuensis. He was writing the things down that Paul told him to write down to God's church at Corinth. And I think it'd be great. We could, we could just call ourselves the Church of God at Woodlake. How about that? It'd be a great thing, the Church of God at Woodlake. Paul didn't write to a convention. He didn't write to some organization. He wrote to the people. That's how you, to, to be a part. I've had so many people say, Brother Jerry, what's the big deal about being a church, uh, a member of a church? Man, you got to put yourself under the submission of a pastor and be held accountable by the body of Christ so that you can serve the Lord properly. Plus, well, I don't need public worship. Yes, you do. If you don't need it, they need you. They need your help. Amen? So Paul wrote to the church. The church is, Paul was starting churches. Very, very important to those who are sanctified. Are y'all glad that you're sanctified? Aren't you glad that you're never to have your sins held over your head ever, ever again? And may I say to you, you're not only your sins are forgiven, uh, the expiation and propitiation of God. Not only are your sins forgiven, propitiation, expiation is the removal of God's wrath. He's not mad at you anymore. When you're in Christ, the wrath has been removed. So Paul says, y'all are sanctified uh, by Jesus Christ and called as saints. Would y'all mind calling me Saint Jerry from now on? I'd appreciate that. Did you know that that's what you are? We're the saints because in Christ, publicly, now listen to me, theologically, we're saints. We're pure and righteous and holy because of what Christ has done. But practically, you haven't been given your new body yet, so you're going to do some sinning. But you have to just confess your sin. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Why would that passage be there if you don't still sin? Now, I know y'all think I'm perfect, but I just have to bust your bubble this morning. Not even close. All right? We're called to be saints with all those who are in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that the God's name you call on identifies who you are? And Paul says, I'm so proud of you all because you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Guess what? We're not the only one that has a relationship with Jesus. Some people go around thinking they're, God, they're the only ones that have it. No, Paul says they're God and ours. And then we come to this beautiful passage in uh, verse number 3. 
after Paul has said, and I'm playing off of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, where Paul says, we are prisoners of God, and because we're prisoners of God, we need to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what I've already said this morning is enough for you and for me to live a life worthy of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We're ambassadors, Paul says, in, in other places in the scripture. We're ambassadors. We've been commissioned. We're tied to the church, which is the ecclesia. And listen very carefully. Right in the middle of the term ecclesia, right there in ecclesia, he talks about the gathering, the assembly. He, he says we're sanctified. He uses all these beautiful passages of Scripture to teach us these things. And then in verse number 3, he comes. There's not a saint in the house who wouldn't want this prayed over them every day. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace to you. Grace and peace. The, the God that you call to. Boy, I just think that is so beautiful right there. It identifies who we are. He says, those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. One day in the recovery room, I worked in the recovery room in an operating room when I was in college, uh, trying to make my way through college. And so the recovery room was my main job. And many people who came out of surgery were often, as you can imagine, coming from the operating room were in lots of pain. And so they began to wake up. There was one man in particular one day I will never forget, and uh, Lady uh, Mary Round is her name, one of the just awesome older nurses at that time. I'll never forget Mary Round. She was very special to me because there was a time in college I didn't have a place to live, and she let me come and live at her house uh, for free until I could find a place to live. And so I was very close to Mary, but this little tough old gal, she's up there. She's holding a person's jaw, letting their airway breathe, and there's a man here next to this guy, this guy, and not in a colloquial sense, but in a very painful sense, oh Lord, oh God, please help me, Lord help me, God please help me, I'm hurting, Lord help me, help me, he's waking up, this guy over here has been awake for a while and he says, ain't no need to call on him, he don't listen, I quit calling on him a long time ago, and this precious nurse looked over at him and said, sir, you have to call on somebody that knows you. Woo! So, yeah. <laughs> who we call on identifies who we are. And there's a lot of people that call on him and use his name improperly. But I want to tell you today, when I call on him, he's my Lord and my Savior. And, and Paul was saying, I want, who wants this prayer? Grace and mercy and peace given to you. Grace, we know what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. This is benefit and favor. But what many people don't know is the grace that's in, in this passage is charis. And it's, it's the divine influence upon the heart. That's what true grace is. Now, when you get things that you don't deserve, God just gives you things because he loves you and you don't deserve them. That's grace. But this is divine favor over someone's heart. Now, I want to tell you, that's a big deal. That is salvation. That is a salvation experience. Is there any better reason to live a life worthy of the calling that God has given you than the divine favor that God has put on your heart? You didn't save yourself. You didn't call yourself. 
You didn't get the blessings that you have without God putting his grace upon your heart. You see, lost people don't respond to God. Lost people are lost. They're dead in trespasses and sins. And and we're going to learn just in the chapter over that you, as a matter of fact, as a lost person, cannot even begin to understand the things of the Spirit of God because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And so God himself, if you know Jesus today, at some point in your life came to you and awakened you spiritually. And then you responded to grace. That's grace. Is that a reason to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can I say to you, there are hundreds of thousands of Southern Baptists this morning that forgot that they were called. They forgot they were sanctified. They forgot the peace of God. They they forgot the grace of God. If If they really appreciated the grace of God, they'd have their bottoms in church serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all all all right? And if y'all don't like that, then you talk to Jesus about it. Y'all all all right? Because I'm going to stick to that. It's it's grace, peace. How do y'all like peace? Peace is not the absence of turmoil. Never has been. There's peace with God, and there's the peace of God. Peace with God. I go to talk to these old country boys in the hospital, and old country boy knows what I'm talking about. And I say, Bubba? Things don't look good right now. And Bubba said, yeah, I know it. I said, I'm going to ask you a question. You must not have lived it, lived it for Jesus because your family is concerned about you. They want to know where you're going when you die. I want to ask you a question. You made your peace with God. Brother Jerry, when I was a kid in vacation Bible school, I made my peace with God. And I've been terrible at it. I ain't lived for Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of that. But I love the Lord. And I and I won't I won't I'm, I got forgiveness, but I'm sorry I hadn't lived for Jesus. But I do have peace with God. But you know what Bubba missed all those years? He missed peace. He 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 missed the peace of God. See, because once I knew Him, I, I got peace with God. The Lord seals me. I belong to Him. He put a seal of ownership on me by way of the Spirit of God in me. And by the way, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you don't have Him. You don't. The Spirit of God in you is the sign, the seal of salvation. He comes to live in you. And then, and, and then Isaiah tells us as we keep our mind on him, we keep our mind on him, he brings the quietness. And in the worst of the storms, man, I've seen godly people go through some terrible things. We weren't spared of the terrible things. But they have a deep abiding peace that absolutely never goes away. The prophets call Jesus the Prince of Peace. And so I've made peace with God, and I have the peace of God. You, you, know, you know why we sang that song a while ago? I wanted to make sure that you were introduced to this. Swindoll, in, his, in one of his illustration books, tells a story, and it's in almost every illustration book you can go. Horatio Spafford, a businessman, businessman from Chicago, had business to do, but he sent his wife and his children on a boat to go to Europe. And the next thing, he gets a telegram back saying from his wife, I'm the only one that survived. Our daughters are gone forever. He immediately found a boat. Mr. Spafford got on that boat, and across the sea he went. When he got to the place where the captain told him, This is where the ship went down. This is where your daughters were lost. He took a pen and a small piece of paper and he began 
to write these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It's well with my soul. Now that's the peace of God. No matter where you are today. That deep abiding faith. If you've been as, as Paul says here. He's, he's told them. You've been called, you're the church at Corinth, you have a church family, you have the body of Christ, you've been sanctified, you yourselves called, you call on the name of the Lord, it proves you know the Lord. He says, you have, he says I'm praying for the grace of God and the peace of God in your life. You've been predestined, called, saved, sanctified, soon to be glorified. You've been given grace and mercy and peace. You have a Father in heaven. And the son is yours. You have a church family that calls upon the name of God. What else would they need to live a life worthy of the call of God? Well, as if this weren't enough, let Brother Jerry share some more things with you. Look in verse number four. Paul says, I thank my God. That's a beautiful, beautiful word. I thank the word for I think is Eucharisteo. Do you know a word that that's very similar to in your life and things that we do here? Uh, many of the other denominations use this word more than the Baptists do. We don't call this the Eucharist, uh, but Eucharisteo is the word where we get the word Eucharist. We call it the Lord's Supper. But right in the middle, listen very carefully. I just mentioned this word to you, Eucharist. Steo. Did you hear something that's right there in the middle of that word, Eucharisteo? The word for grace is charis. Grace, charis. Eucharisteo. Paul says, I'm thankful. And Paul was so thankful. Why was Paul so thankful? Well, notice what Paul says to them there. I'm, I always am thankful for God, my God, because of you, <clears throat> of God's grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus. I'm grateful that I look at you and I see that you're saved. I see the workings of God in your life. Now, that gets me excited. Now, now let me tell you, there's absolutely nothing. And, and this would be a small section. We could skip right on through this. But I want to tell you, Paul was grateful. Paul was grateful that he had extended his hand of salvation to the believers in Corinth. Now, think of all the problems with which Paul is going to deal with in this book with these people. But at this point, here he is, Paul. He's speaking about all the blessings that they have had. And you see, I think this is important because when we get on into the book, you say, well, goodness, these people are just lost. There was a bunch of pagans, and Paul's going to introduce us to some pagans. And I think this is really what was going on in the church. Many of them Gentiles, <clears throat> many of them who'd been to the temples, many of them who'd uh, visited temple prostitutes, Many of them, the, the, the goddess of Diana and uh, all the other goddesses that they had, they had participated in this ecstatic utterances and all kind of other crazy stuff there. They were really born again, got saved, and then they came in to the church of Jesus Christ and brought all those problems in there. And Paul was trying to literally to, to say to them, I want to tell you, it has thrilled my soul to see the change in you and, and how this church is actually doing. Can I tell you that there is absolutely nothing in all of this world that thrills me more than when I see someone who has known about God, been around God, been in church, 
but finally comes to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And the number one problem in all of the denominations that I know of, and I could name some of them out who are worse than others, they talk about Jesus, they understand the ministry of Jesus, but they don't teach a commitment to Jesus. There are many people that I've seen literally come down front in many places where I've been and say, I feel like God is drawing me. And the people counseling them don't lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, just because you go to church, just because you've heard it, just because you read your Bible, just because you understand all of these things about God does not mean that you're a believer, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You have to cross the line. Paul said, I rejoice, I am thankful that I see what God has done in your life. And Paul's going to talk about how he knows that. He says, I see the, I see the, he says, Eucharisteo, I'm grateful, I see the grace of God in you. I'll tell you, there's some people that passed out when they found out I got saved. And they saw. And they saw where I was at. You okay? I've had them look at me and say, I just, I just can't believe this. And I says, well, you better believe it, buddy, because I got a good dose of it. Y'all all right? And if you've been born again, you know that. He put his spirit in my heart. Now look at verse number 5. Here's how Paul knew that they were saved. Look at verse 5. Paul said, and by him you were enriched in everything in all speech and in knowledge. Paul says, I see the, the gifts that the Lord has given you. If you're saved, there will be evidence of it. Number one, the Holy Spirit will live in you. But Paul says you're enriched. The word enriched means to, it refers to riches and abundance, to, to bestow wealth on someone. Paul says that God had made them rich in knowledge and in speech. It's used metaphorically of spiritual riches. Now, when Paul talks about speech, he's, he's talking about the logos. And if you want to really find out what Paul's talking about here, you, you just go and Google it. You won't even need a, a Greek dictionary or anything. And you look at what the Greeks thought about the logos. And so the word logos is very important. And just to try to make this as simple as I can, as quickly as I can, there are no logos, there are no words without thoughts. And so logos, the word, actually refers to the eternal thought. In other words, where did life come from? All the things that we know, that we see, and that exist had to come from the logos. In John 1, 1, we learn this. In the beginning was the, the logos. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. And so, in other words, Paul was literally saying, you have been blessed and enriched more than any of the other churches that I know in the things of the Lord. And in speech here, he's talking about all the different ways that they were able to share the gospel. They knew other languages. They had been gifted in grace, mercy, peace, love, hospitality, prophecy, uh, tongues and all the different spiritual gifts that we're going to deal with later. Paul is telling us right now, I see the grace of God in you. I see the peace of God in you. And I'm thankful that it has been confirmed in me, in my heart, because I saw what you're doing. 
And so when someone says to me, well, you just can't know somebody's saved or not, baloney, that's not in the Bible. What I just read to you came out of the Bible. I can look at you and I can watch you for a little while and I can tell if you know my Jesus or not. If we sit on a park bench next to each other for five minutes, I'll know where you stand spiritually. I had an Episcopal priest on the hot seat one day, and every time I asked him, was he born again, he'd pull his cross out and show it to me. I said, well, I got some keys in my pocket. That's about the same thing as a cross around your neck. It represents something very important to us, but that's not what I ask you. Did you have a cross? I ask you, have you ever made a commitment to Jesus Christ? Are you born again? Did you commit to Jesus? Did you give him your life? And, and bless the Lord, oh, my soul, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. I said, can I ask you a question, sir? Yes. Is it more important to you to be a Christian than an Episcopalian? Can I ask you, Baptist? Is it more important to know Jesus or to be a Baptist? Well, I want to tell you, the way the Baptist church in many places right now is going... I'm ashamed to tell people I was a Southern Baptist. But I'll tell you this, I'm not ashamed of the Son of God. And I told the Southern Baptists a long time ago, y'all drift, you get liberal, you go wrong, you won't get any of our money and we won't support. Somebody say amen. Because see, he's more important. You, you see, here's the problem. You ask a Muslim, if he's going to heaven, he'll say, I'm, an, I'm a Muslim. He won't tell you he's an Iranian or, a Yem, uh, or from, from Yemen. He won't tell you he's from uh, Babylon. You see, what they believe about their God's more important to them than anything. You know, we could learn a lesson from that since we literally are serving and worshiping the only true and living God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, it's more important to be born again than it is to be an American. Boy, that's shocking, isn't it? Americans will go to hell. You know the hardest witnessing time I've ever had? Ask a man, was he born again? Was he a Christian? He said, I'm an American, ain't I? And I quit asking people if they were Christians. Here's what I ask them. Have you ever had an encounter, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because once you tell a guy he can't go to heaven just because he's an American, you'll offend him. Because he's a proud American, you're done. Your witness is over. So I talked to him about being born again. Then we come in the back door. Y'all all right? Paul says, I'm thankful. I saw that you were enriched in all of these things. Have we, have you been enriched from knowing Jesus Christ? Are you thankful for the dignity, the holiness, the salvation, the grace, and the peace that you've been given? If you are grateful for those things then let's live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you grateful for the fruit of the Spirit? Are you grateful for the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given you? Are worldly wisdom and material blessings more important to you than Jesus? Well, they're not to me. Are you grateful for the removal of guilt and sin and wrath in your life? Are you grateful for eternity? Hope in the eternity of seeing your loved ones again. We've not even mentioned the rewards that we're going to get for serving Jesus while we're here. I want to tell you, I am glad to be born again and have all of these blessings in my life and to see my spiritual gift being exercised this morning. It means that I'm walking with Jesus, 
that he's using me. He's filled me with the Holy Spirit, either by my prayer or your prayer, so that you will be blessed. If you're not in a state of charis, if you're not in a state of joy and grace and mercy and thankfulness, then you're not a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You have no chance of living the life that is worthy of your calling. You all right? Whew. It, what breaks my heart, literally, is the people that have the most are the least thankful. Can, and hold on. Can I put myself in that group with you? Pastor, not preaching down on you, not preaching at you. The times I complain the most are times where I, I'm the guiltiest because I have it so good that when something alters that, I go to whining. Like a big fat crybaby. I saw this clip not too long the other day. I mentioned it once before. I, I hope you'll find it somewhere. Many of you are out there on social media and you're flitting around, but this was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. This lady went on Dr. Phil and took her daughter, and here's what the daughter was upset about. She didn't get enough money from her mother to live the lifestyle that she wanted to live. She felt like a peasant. And she went on Dr. Phil. Her mother said, I, I wanted you to talk to Dr. Phil, and I'm sure this is common among a lot of teenagers and young people out there. She was getting $1,000 a month. She wanted $2,000 a month to live up to the standard of her life. Can I say we would not have had to go to Dr. Phil to solve this problem? <laughs> the doggonest thing I've ever seen. Dr. Phil says, yes, ma'am, you're right. She needs a job. The little girl burst into tears. She burst into tears. Here's what she said. I can't get a job. It's so much work. <laughs> oh, I need a breath. I can promise you there was never any leather on that backside. Mama created a monster, and we would never have had to go to Dr. Phil to solve that problem. When I think of all the changes that have taken place in our lives and all the things that God's done for us in speech and in knowledge, let's look at verse 6. I want you to interpret this for me, okay? I want you to be the preacher. Verse number 6. We're going to read it together. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Okay, first thing you need to answer is, in this way. What does Paul mean by in this way? Everything that Brother Jerry has preached over the last message and this one, from verse number one to here, Paul says, you think about it, he says, in this way, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Paul is saying, this is how, this is the way. The word for confirmed uh, and its root word means to be stable. It means to be firm, steadfast, and sure. It's to establish. Uh, in this way, is Paul is saying that he had seen how they were enriched and confirmed that they were saved. And so, listen very carefully to me. And here's what I want to say about this. And we're going to move on to verse 7. Many people 
are trying to talk themselves into being saved or people they know, you're trying to talk them into being saved without seeing results in their life. Verse number seven. The word here, Paul says, this is absolutely beautiful. So that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you don't lack anything. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. God confirmed it in you so that you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Son of God (laughs) from heaven. The confirmation was a certainty that they had lacked no spiritual gift. And the word for spiritual gift, listen, charis matai. Grace in that word again. Are y'all all right? Are you getting this? Grace, charis matai. The gifts of grace, this is important. The spiritual gifts that Paul talked about them getting were by grace. I saw another lunatic on last night on a video who had a group of people in his church, and he was yickety-yacking, spouting off, carrying on, blabbering a bunch of foolishness, and he gave those people that came for prayer the gift of the Holy Spirit. Woo! No, 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 no. And no preacher, Jimmy Swaggart used to say, oh, I got down, we prayed, we were there, and I begged for the gift of speaking in tongues, and it rolled off of my grandmama and rolled on to me. No, 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 no. The gift is a gift of grace. Now, if that offends you, I'm sorry. Not, we can still fellowship, and I still love you. But I want you to see the truth of the Scripture. This, Paul says this is charismatai. It is Charis, it is grace, grace gift. You're not going to beg for it. You're not going to borrow it. You're not going to pay for it. You can't live holy enough to get it. If you get the Holy Spirit, it's because God called you, He drew you, and He gave you the Holy Spirit. It's a grace gift. Now, that's the Word of God. It's not my opinion. This didn't come from the Southern Baptist Convention. That's the grace gifts right there. The spiritual gifts from God are by grace. They're spiritual and they come from the Lord. The Corinthian church was enriched with all the grace gifts. Now, why could they not live a life worthy of the Lord? Paul says it was confirmed in you that I saw you were enriched. If any church should have been a success, it should have been the Corinthian church. Let me say this. If any church should be successful... It's the American church. We have been given so much. And if we don't have it, we could buy it. We have more money than anyone else in the world. These are miraculous faculties that are spiritual in nature. These are qualifications of endowment that come directly from the Holy Spirit. They're miraculous because they come from the Spirit. These enriching gifts cannot be received from anywhere else but God. These gifts that come from the Spirit, and literally, let me say this to you, and I'm going to teach you this later on. Everybody separates the spiritual gifts from the fruit of the Spirit. That's the worst mistake that we've ever made. 
And to say that you have a few spiritual gifts, and, and I believe my gift is encouragement and preaching and teaching, but does that mean that I'm not supposed to have mercy? No, it doesn't. You should be good in all the spiritual gifts, just as you are in the fruit of the Spirit. So when you take the fruit of the Spirit, should you say, well, well, I have, I have love, but I don't, I don't really need any mercy. I'll just pass on that. Well, no, we don't do that. We want to grow in every area that God allows us to have. Does not Paul, and I believe this is biblical, a biblical foundation for it, Paul says this church was enriched in all the spiritual gifts. Do you think patience is something that you just were given? Well, no, you got to work on it. And did you know that when God gives these spiritual gifts like prophecy or teaching or preaching or hospitality, your gift doesn't come fully mature. You have to develop it. But just because you have a gift of hospitality and you like to serve people and share the gospel through that and build the church through that, does that mean you're not supposed to know your Bible? Well, no. We're supposed to grow in all of these gifts. And Paul literally tells his church, man, I saw everything about you and God gave you all of this for one specific reason. You don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for a Savior from above. Somebody should have said, Jesus is coming. (laughs) When you read that, I can promise you, Sanford in his heart was saying, Jesus is coming. He's not going to miss that. Somebody should have said, see, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. Watch, eagerly eagerly waiting some of y'all are waiting but you're not eagerly waiting you're just enduring i'll tell you i get up in the morning and i go outside to my truck and i go get in and i look up come on come on come on come on if y'all ever saw me putt for about a 40 foot eagle putt and it goes down a little hill and it trickles down, and it starts trickling toward a hole, and it gets a little closer and gets a little closer. And I say, come on, baby. Come on, baby. You can do it, mama. Come on, baby. Oh, yeah. Boom. And then we all go crazy and act like a bunch of fools. Right? You ever seen somebody hit a home run and get close to the foul pole? And the fans are going, hang in there, baby. Hang in there, baby. And then it goes, it goes out. And then it goes, they go crazy you ever got that excited about Jesus coming Paul says eagerly 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 come on Jesus come on boy it's going to be a lot of shocked people when he shows up y'all glad you came this morning I'm glad I got here I just want to tell you look at verse number 8 and look why couldn't you live a life worthy look verse 8 He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I I just just can't make it, Brother Jerry. He promised to strengthen you. He is not going to let you down. He's going to keep picking you up, keep strengthening you, keep pushing you forward. He's not going to let you fall. He's going to bless you. I just preached through James preached, I think, three or four messages in the first chapter of James about trials and temptations and how God's going to carry us through. Great. Two, two great theological thoughts here. I need help every moment of, of the day, every moment of my life. And he says, 
He will strengthen you until the day comes. That means that God's promise is to strengthen me now, today, and until Jesus actually gets here. You can't fail. We've been promised all that. We've been given all this. Paul says, therefore, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly be being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs all of them. It's coming, folks. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. He helps me now and in the future. Then look at verse number 9. What a beautiful passage. God's faithful. If he's faithful, I can live a life worthy of my calling. Were you called by him? Into fellowship with his son. Did you know? Y'all tell Jesus something right now. Just tell him something. In your heart, tell him something. Just tell him something. Did you say a little prayer? Did you say a little prayer to Jesus? If he wasn't in your life, you couldn't do that. You have fellowship with the Son of God. You have fellowship with Jesus Christ. If I know he's strengthening me, if I know he's coming back to get me, Jesus is coming. If he's promised to be with me, if he's promised that I can have fellowship with him while we walk through this, oh man, what a great God we have. You, you know, there's a great comparison about how good God really is concerning Alexander the Great and Jesus Christ. You talk about a man who did something with his life. Alexander the Great did something with his life, but... When you think about what you could do with your life and what Jesus did with his life, there's no comparison. Both men were age 33 when they died, approximately. One was in Babylon, the other one was in Jerusalem. One lived and died for himself. One man died for you and for me. The Greek man died upon a throne. The Jewish man died on a cross. The Greek's life seemed to be a triumph, but the Messiah's life seemed to be a failure. The Greek man led many armies to war. The Jewish man walked by himself. The Greek shed a whole world's blood. The carpenter shed his own blood for the world. The Greek man won the world in life and lost it all in death. The Christ gave his life to win our love and faith. The Greek gained all for himself. Jesus gave himself for all. The Greek man, he conquered every throne. Jesus conquered every grave. The Greek made himself a God. God the Son made himself a man. The Greek lived to bless the world. The Son lived to bless the world. When the Greek died, so did his throne. When the Lord died, his throne was established for all eternity. The Greek made all men slaves, but the Messiah set all men free. The Greek built his throne upon blood, and the Lord built his throne upon love. The Greek was born on earth, and the Savior born from above. The Greek won the whole earth and lost both heaven and earth, and Jesus gave up heaven and earth and all that he was given. The Greek lies in a cold and worthless grave. The Lord of glory lives 
and intercedes for you and for me right this moment. Mark 8, 36 says this, What profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? My, just my challenge today is this. Folks, we in Christ have been given so much. We've been called. We've been sanctified. We have fellowship. We've been given spiritual gifts. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We have a church. We have leadership. We have friends. And then on top of all the spiritual blessings the Lord has given us, He's also given us creature comforts so that we can be comfortable as we worship and serve and give. I am one thankful young man. And Lord Jesus, please help us live lives worthy of the call. So our invitation is simple today. The altar's open if you just want to come and thank God for all that he's done for your life. If you've been visiting and you say, well, today's the day I'm coming to join. I want to be a part of Wood Lake. You come on. We'll take you in the fold. Amen. But more so than anything, listen to me. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what denomination you've been. It doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. No one gets to the Father but through me. Maybe you've known about Jesus your whole life. But you never, ever came to the place where you did this. Jesus, I know you. I even love you. But I've never surrendered my life to you. And today, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to give you my life, what's left of it. And I pray with every fiber of my being that I will live a life worthy of the gospel. I want to tell you what that's called. That's called salvation. It's not called becoming a Baptist. It's not called being a Methodist. It's not being a Catholic. It's talking to Jesus and doing business with him. And then he'll tell you what he wants you to do after that. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Father, in Jesus' name, today, this is your day. This is your, your invitation. And Lord, I just pray that we'll enjoy the benefits of knowing you. Lord, I pray these last two messages have been an encouragement to us that we have been given so much that it literally, Lord, I can honestly say in my life, you said in Malachi that you will open the floodgates and that you'll bless us with so much that we won't even have room to receive it. Lord, you've given us so much, we don't have anywhere to put all the things that you've done for us. And so, Father, as we fellowship, as we grow, help us to live lives worthy of our calling, that we can display the manifold wisdom of God. I pray that you bring salvation to this house today. And I pray that you'll just help us, help those who need to make decisions today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.